Welcome to Songs and Stories, the not-for-musicians-only music podcast. Well, all right. Welcome to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is podcast number six. Uh, You might notice you're hearing a different musical theme than you normally hear on this podcast. What you're hearing in the background here is the musical bed for my song, Spotted Mule. And if you've heard my CD, seen this play, or been anywhere on my website, you've probably known that I got this thing for writing songs about mules. At least two or three songs about mules. Uh, I haven't talked about it in a podcast yet, and I thought this would be a good time because icing... The spotted mule that I wrote the song about is up for sale, and actually, as I record this podcast, she's in a trailer on her way to Bishop, California to be shown and possibly sold at Mule Days, a week-long mule show in Bishop next week. So on this podcast, what I thought I would do is talk about the song Spotted Mule and kind of where it came from and how I wrote it and how it was kind of different than other songs that I've written. And then we'll take you out to Los Lomas Ranch, and you'll hear from Krista Koenig, who owns and trained Icing. She's a lifelong horse trainer, um, got into mules about three or four years ago, and she'll explain her, her, her theories of training horses and mules, and also how training mules made her a better horse trainer. So she's actually a walking book of, of horse training and mule training. It's pretty interesting. So to start with, We'll talk about the song. In my last podcast where I talked about my song High and Lonesome, I said that uh, most songs for me come out of a title. Uh, Sometimes you get a musical theme or a riff or a melody in your head and you can build something out of that and stick lyrics onto it. Sometimes you get a uh, just an idea for a lyric or part of a song and you build on that. Sometimes, in in most cases with me, it's just titles. I'll get a title, idea for a story, and I'll go from there. In the case of Spotted Mule, it was one of those rare songs that just fell into my lap. And uh, we were going home, my wife and I were going home one day, well, probably a couple of years ago now. And um, we live in Watsonville, California, kind of semi-rural area. And we're driving down Buena Vista Drive, and there's this, there's this intersection of Larkin Valley and, and Buena Vista Drive, where they always keep goats and sheep and lots of horses. And we're driving home, and we look up on the hill, and there is this... It looked like a horse, but it had big ears, and it was brown with white spots. And Cindy went, my wife, Cindy went, look at that. I think it's a mule. I went, yeah, it's a mule. And Cindy said, hey, write a song about that mule. Now, I get a lot of people, God bless them, who tell me, hey, write a song about this, or write a song about this. And I, I write every idea down, and I love getting them, but, you know, I get a hundred suggestions for songs, and I might get one of them actually done. Um, in this case, Cindy said, write a song about that mule, and I thought, hmm, well, it's, it's got spots on it, so we'll call it Spotted Mule, and um, I just wrote down some, some things I knew about mules, which you know didn't take very long, because I didn't know very much. I knew that mules can't breed, and I knew that um, they're, they're sired from a horse and a donkey, and that was pretty much it. So I, I wrote this lyric, dad was a donkey, mama was a roan, and luckily I got it right. In a mule, the dad's the donkey and the mom's the horse. So I got home, got up my guitar, and I thought, well, it's going to be a song about a mule. It's got kind of a outdoorsy thing to it. Let's give it a nice tempo and make it a bluegrass song. So it's a bluegrass song, so I might as well make it in the key of G. Here's my guitar. Mm-hmm. 
and I thought of this really just incredibly simple little melody. basically repeats itself in the verse and the chorus. And I started writing. And at that point in my writing, I was really writing songs with way too many verses, and I was trying to, you know, write a verse and get right to the chorus. So this is the first song I was able to do that, and I wrote... Um, Saw him out on Larkin's farm, because it was on Larkin Valley Road. Standing in the rain, they'd taken horses to raise and train. It's a very simple rhyme. Um, the next line was, This odd beast was just standing in a field. I think I know how he feels. Now, rhyming field with fields was incredibly awkward. It was supposed to be a placeholder. But I kept playing it, I recorded it, and I just left it alone, and nobody's really complained about it, so you can fudge once in a while. So then I thought, well, one verse and right to the chorus. So I basically just wrote about where this, where this little beast lives. So here's a chorus. It was very simple. Spotted new on old Adobe Road. Dad was a donkey. Mama was a roan. I pass him every day on my way back home. Wonder if he feels alone. Again, using the same melody. Uh, the second verse became, I thought, well, let's think about other horses that were kind of well-known. He's no silver or trigger, you see. He won't be in the movies or up on the TV. But if I had my way, I'd saddle him and say, Hi-o, mule, away. Again, this song really came to me in about an hour. And I wish, <laughs> if I had more songs that did that, I have a lot more songs. So then in the song, we go back to the chorus, and then I needed a third and final verse. And I needed some sort of, you know, final kind of punchline to, like, wrap this thing up and sort of make a point with it. And um, if you go back a couple of podcasts, there's a song called Jack of All Trades I did a whole podcast on. And I talked about doing comedy writing. And I still kind of look at songs as, you know, if I know the punchline or I know where I'm leading up to, I can usually backfill the rest of the song. It's kind of like writing a joke. Here's the punchline. How do you set it up? So I kept thinking about mules, and I thought, well, let me see. They can't breed. That can be kind of a thing. And I thought, um, the line that came to me was, a mule doesn't breed. He's one of a kind. If you're a misfit friend, you're a friend of mine. You know, so it's kind of like looking at the outsider. It's equating it with a mule. And I thought, that's there's a point to it, and you can take it or not. So I needed a, a way to bring up the, the last verse. So I got up my little, my little literary concordance, and I kept looking and looking and looking, and I found, somehow I went, to, I, went to, I went to different famous horses in this concordance, and I found Pegasus. And uh, it's told me that um, Pegasus in mythology was born from the, the blood of the demon Medusa. And I thought, Pegasus rose from the blood of Medusa rose from the blood of Medusa, and I thought, well, what rhymes with Medusa? Spotted Mule's mom was a brown Appaloosa. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only writer to ever rhyme 
Medusa with Appaloosa, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. And then it finishes up. A mule doesn't breed, he's one of a kind. If you're a misfit friend, you're a friend of mine. And there's the song. So we um, played it for a while. It was, it was a really fun song to play, and um, this song's really become the little song that could. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of mileage out of it. Um, it's getting a little airplay. In fact, I just got a, uh, a, an email from a DJ in New Zealand who called it annoyingly memorable, which I kind of thought was pretty funny. Then he quickly wrote back and said, what, what I meant was it was catchy. I really like the song I'm playing it. But if you go to um, the, the pod show notes for this show on my website, michaelgather.com, it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R, you'll see my CD with the mule on the cover. You'll find a link to the video we did for the song. It's up on YouTube. There's a link to that from my site. And there's also a link to my music page, which has the, the studio version of this song. So when you get a chance, have a look around. Okay, now what we're going to do is take a drive south of Watsonville out to Elkhorn Ranch on Hall Road. And we're going to be talking with Krista Koenig, who owns and trained Icing. So stick around. Here we go. How'd you get into, how long have you been training horses, and how'd you get from horses into mules? Well, I've been training horses since I was a little kid. My dad raised Appaloosas, and we had a stallion and a mare, and or uh, several mares, and I used to just get to ride anything I wanted, and most of them weren't trained, so of course, you know. Um, and then I went to school for five years and left my horses, and, you know, the old adage of you have to go to school and get a good job so you can make enough money to have horses was the, the thing. Um, I ended up in Santa Cruz County, and there's a huge horse population and a lot of very enlightened people with a lot of enlightened thinking um, got me into doing natural horsemanship and the psychology of horses and, of course, an opportunity to start training horses. So um, I worked for a trainer, a professional uh, Pirelli Natural Horsemanship certified trainer for four years, uh, working with problem horses, cold starting. Um, I've been on my own for five years. I pick up projects. I work, you know, training is where my love is. Um, kind of what it's turning into mm-hmm. is buying and selling good horses, yeah. finding horses for people that are suitable for people rather than leaving people to the wolves as far as going out and buying from whoever. So fitting the horse and the person? Yes, absolutely. And the discipline. I mean, there's so many factors that mm-hmm. are important. So soundness, you know, physical use. Mm-hmm. And what's natural horsemanship? Natural horsemanship is more of establishing a mode of communication with the horse. Um, you know, you spend enough time with the same horse, you actually be you actually begin to be able to work at, what, at what's called at liberty, which is without a rope, where the horse is loose, and they understand your cues to the point where they do them as you would tell a dog to sit. Mm-hmm. You know, your horse would come to you or trot with you or stop and back up. or I mean, it's, it's limitless what a horse can understand and convey that it knows without you making it do it or using a rope to do it or force of some kind. Um, sometimes restraint is necessary to get a horse in a position where it has to be put in a position of learning, but for the most part, 
you know, through natural horsemanship, you take the psychology, where the horse's head is at, what his past history is, how he's been treated, um, what kind of uh, breed nature does he have, what's his innate nature, what are his instincts, how heavily, how heavily does he, he rely on instincts, or how much of a pet is he, because a lot right. of horses are just, you know, pet quality. Right. So, you know, you have to really take all of these factors into consideration. Yeah. And a good example is when I, when I pulled up earlier the horse you were working with, who you worked with eight months ago. Yes. And you said he was taught to buck. Can you explain that? Um, a lot of times people think, okay, we're going to saddle that horse up and buck him out like you see in the John Wayne movies. And, you know, that's not really what it's all about. There's times when that's what you do, and there is a sport of bronc riding. But it, I go through steps through using natural horsemanship to prepare the horse mentally for being saddled, for having something around his middle, for having a predator on his back, for being told where to go, for having his face held onto, for having legs wrapped around his body, for having his rear end spanked when I want him to go somewhere. So, um, you know, all of these factors, this horse was put in a position where he was scared every day that they saddled him, which caused him to buck. And because he's got a very strong, wild nature, he's going to go to instincts first every time, which mm -hmm. is buck. So the horse didn't understand that he was not supposed to buck. He felt, oh, they want me to buck. He learned that on his own. Yes, it's a learn, learn behavior. That's a lot, of, a lot of reasons why it's, I tell people, I've spent my entire life training horses. Worry about how your horse is trained and how to train your horse. Don't worry about learning to be a horse trainer. It's a huge, it's, it's a lifelong endeavor. Okay. Now, so where did meals come in? Meals came in. My sister went to Meal Days and decided... Uh, and what's Meal Days for the people on the podcast? Oh, <laughs> Meal Days is the biggest show in California for mules um, in Bishop, Memorial Day weekend. Um, huge deal. Everybody goes there to mm -hmm. buy their mules, show their mules, meet people. Buy mule t-shirts. Buy mule... And CDs. And CDs, <laughs> hopefully. Um, my sister went and saw two gated mules, and so she's into gated horses. And gating is a walking style? Gating is, yes, the speed of walk that you, or you don't have to learn how to trot, basically. Or the horse doesn't trot. It's a lateral four-beat gait. Um, she saw two gated mules that she absolutely had to have, and she went back to Georgia and rode them and bought them. And they had severe issues. So being as she had a little sister that was a problem horse person, that's the first person that ended up with them. And the first Molly was so scary. I worked with her for three months. I could, mm -hmm. I barely was able to bring myself to ride her. And a Molly I, is a female, female meal. Okay. Um, and I rode her three times, and every fiber of being in my DNA said, never get on this mule again, and I hated that. Um, I had my sister send her back, and I took on a John mule, who was a runaway, but not in a dangerous sense that he mm -hmm. would throw you off. He would take you with him when he'd run off. So, in a little room for compromise. Mm -hmm. um, I took him to Bishop my first year and won high point, gated high point with that mule. But, of course, he, re he required a, a experienced rider, somebody who could make him mind. Um, over the process of trying to replace the Molly mule, because the John mule was for my brother-in-law, mm -hmm. the Molly was for my sister, we went through three more mules. And they, of course, all had issues. So, I had to train all of those mules as well. And they were, one of them bucked, and there's a, I, now I understand why people don't ride mules that buck. Mm. Um, another one was very emotionally sensitive, and my sister's a very emotionally sensitive person. It would have been a disaster. So um, through all that deals, my sister decides, and my family, well, you're so great with mules. Let's get you a mule. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, no, please, shoot me in the foot first. So they had planned to drag me back to Georgia and pick out some mule, and we happened to go down to Paso Robles to a sale, and they ran this mule, my Dunn Molly, the uh -huh. one I've been training and right, showing for three right. years. 
through the sale, and I thought, well, I've seen the guy rider. The mule's pretty well started. He put 15 rides on her. She's got a good head on her shoulder, and she's pretty. Yeah. So even if I don't like her, I have a chance of being able to exactly. sell her. So, um, you know, three years later, I show her at horse shows, um, starting dressage with her. She does reining, cutting, cow working, uh, cattle sorting, um, English. She trail rides alone. Um, she, you can rope on her. Okay. I mean, there's a ton of things you can do with her. So that just kind of started that. and. It, so it's been years now. It's been three years I've yeah. had. I've personally owned my own mules. And after having the good one, I decided, well, there's good... You know, there's good meals and there's bad meals, so I'll start with good meals. So the one thread, a common thread between all three of my mules is that they are out of very high-quality female horses. Not, back in the old days, your mule mares were the mares that nobody wanted to ride or handle or were crooked-legged or nasty, Mm -hmm. and you got mules that matched. And I've got one mule out of a $30,000 proven cutting horse mare, and that is the nicest animal on four legs I've ever ridden. I love that mule. The Appaloosa meal, icing. That would be icing, yeah. Um, they're different. Appaloosas are smarter. I grew up with Appaloosas. They're just a different thing altogether. They are smart. And for me, she's such a needy animal emotionally mm-hmm. that she needs her own person. Oh, I see. So to me, it's important that she gets somebody that's going to give her the attention that she emotionally wants. Because I can't give it to her. I'm... You can see from the place, I'm full. Yeah. So You've got your hands full with horses. Exactly. So it's only fair to find somebody that enjoys her company and has yeah. the time for her and can spend three, four days a week with her and get her in training with a good trainer or leave her with me. Right. I really don't care. I just I like to see him go on and have a life because mm-hmm. I don't have time for one animal in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And how old is Icing? Icing is turning four. Actually, I think she turned four this month. Wow. And I bought her as a yearling. She was the first mule I was supposed to go look at to buy here uh-huh. in California. And the lady had gone out and put a deposit on her and took a loan out on the house and didn't get the loan. So the guy called us back after I'd bought the first mule and said, well, this mule's come available and I'll give you the deposit towards the price that the lady left. So we got a you know good price on her. And you know, so I've raised her for three years now. And then the other Molly mule out of the cutting horse mare, she was just a fluke. Somebody mm-hmm. called me, very inexpensive, green meal needs to be started, went out there and fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. So. And you taught me a lot. Besides, you taught me a lot about mules about a year and a half ago. Besides the fact that I got a song just, be, just because of icing, um, you told me that mules aren't really stubborn, and I ended up writing a song called Not Stubborn, Not My Mule. So why aren't mules stubborn, and why is that a myth, and why do people think they're stubborn? Where does that come from? Well, people don't ever stop to think before they ask their animals or their friends to do something, whether or not it's worth doing. <laughs> so that being the case, when a mule refuses me, it's taught me a lot about horses. Because when a mule refuses me, I gotta stop and think: Does it make sense for me to be asking this animal to do this? Because my mules, they know their, they know their, they know their deal. And when they're well behaved, you keep it short—15 minutes, 20 minutes—you make them feel like they know exactly what it is and they can do it, and they will do it. But there's no point in repeating it over mm-hmm. and over and over. It's dull. It's boring. So with mules, you just can't do that. And it's really helped my training program going back to horses because I always stop and ask myself, if I'm getting resistance, why am I getting resistance? Is it A, the animal doesn't understand it, or B, is it worth is it worth the animal's time to even do it? Right. So are mules smarter than horses? Yes. Are they more cognitive? They Yes, yeah. absolutely. Plus they Yeah, you're getting into a genetics question. Sure. Okay, so genetically the female of anything is lends 70% to mm-hmm. the genetic pool. So that's the reason why 
you can cross a, fem or a male horse on a female donkey, and you get what's called a hinny. Right. The reason why there aren't as many of those is you end up with 70% of the genetics of a donkey, mm -hmm. as well as the donkey characteristics through being raised by a donkey and mother. And you told me you don't want a hinny. Hinnies, well, there are, there are good hinnies. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that, you know, yeah. there's not an exception. But for the most part, there's a reason why nobody rides donkeys. Mm. I mean, they did in Bible times, but yeah. you notice the stick was bigger than the thing on its head. Right. Because they don't go anywhere. They're no fun. Um, so <laughs> as far as that goes, when you get into the genetics and playing around with mules, I never completely understood Everybody wants to breed their mare to a stallion that's fantastic. Right. And they don't take into consideration, is my mare better than the stallion? Because the baby's going to take more after the mare 90% of the time than after the stallion. So what are the mom's traits? Exactly. So for any mule that I was ever to breed, like my best brood mare, <laughs> I will eventually breed for a mule. But not now I've got so many young mules. So it's just a matter of finding a really nice-minded mare that's a good parent, mm -hmm. that's good with her babies, that you know, throws nice-minded foals and to give you a shot at getting a mule that's not going to be difficult. You know, like for icing, it's emotional difficulty. Not that she doesn't want to do it, but when she gets upset, she gets mm -hmm. emotional. Oh. And it's like dealing with a woman on her period or something of that nature. Uh -huh. She just loses it. You just... <laughs> hmm. Have you met um, Jim Brumfeld? Yeah. You know him? I've run into him at shows. Yeah, um, we met him at Mule Days last year, and then I ended up. He played a, he did a book signing locally, so I played music behind him, just instrumental stuff. Oh, cool. And we, we were talking, and he's been, a, he's a local trainer, and he's packed over the Sierras, and, and I, I asked him about his book Across the High Lonesome because it's about mules, and he, he puts all this mule stuff in the book to come teach you about mules, al along with this story about this this packing trip, and and I asked him about the whole mule stubborn thing, and he said, his he called it. Mules have a good sense of self-preservation. There's a scene in the book that apparently really happened to him when he was a packer, and he said that there was a that this young kid who's like his first time on a packing trip, and it was Jim as a kid, was walking this mule who was loaded down with 200 pounds of gear between two trees, and the mule wouldn't go. And he kept he, he pushed and he prodded, and the mule wouldn't go. And finally, this kid, who turns out was Jim in the book, gets off and looks, and the gear was wider than the trees. So the mule just, you know, he sure. wasn't being stubborn. He was going, look, it's not going to work. Sure. Yeah. Well, they don't get enough credit. I took a friend of mine out on a trail ride, and he's highly inexperienced, mm -hmm. and I put him on my good Dunn mule. Yeah. And I rode the Green Bay mule, and it was interesting. It was coming out of winter, and there was a lot of water running down some of the lower trails where we were at, mm -hmm. and there was an area that I wasn't sure what was ahead on the trail. And I asked the Green mule to go, and she <laughs> looked at it, and she tried a little bit, and she says, no, it's, I just don't feel right about it. So I backed her out of there, mm -hmm. and I had my friend take my Dunn mule that I know, even with an inexperienced rider on, would have tracked that if it was safe. Mm -hmm. She went up another notch higher, further up, and looked mm -hmm. than the green mule did. And she turned around and came back down and said no. Now, the funny part is, had I been on horses... I was going to say, what would a horse do? I'd have beat a horse up that trail. Yeah. Because I, the horses will refuse because they don't know what's around the corner. Right. When a mule's refusing and then the two refusing like that right in a row after making an attempt, mm -hmm. I mean, they both would have gone had it been safe. Right. I had that feeling of it. They weren't saying, screw you, I don't want to do it. It was simply they both tried and they both says, you know, that's a bad idea. So I listened to them, mm -hmm. but I honestly, to this day, think had I gone on two horses, I would have made the horses go up the trail, and we would have found out why the mules wouldn't have wanted to go. So you trust the mules? 
Yes, and it's making me learn to trust horses too, further That's cool. in that respect, That's great. you know. Well, um, good luck at Mule Days, and let me know where icing ends up. Make sure they get us, and make sure the new owners get a CD, if nothing else. Oh, of course, okay. of course. No, no, a little celebrity status ought to, Great. you know, ought to keep you in contact with her. And I feel that, like, for me, it's important that the mule goes to a show home. Mm-hmm. She's out of show show stock. Uh, her mother was shown for halter. Her sire was shown at halter, and he's been shown at cart. He's been trained. He's been, and she was raised with the intention of a show home. She has. Two, she's a full sister and a full brother that are younger than her that are at that are bought by show homes, and she's also got a half brother that just born this year that will be again be sold to a show home. So as far as mules go, I know people don't think in that line, but right. it's like if you wanted to show Queensland healers, you go to the breeder and buy the best right. quality Queensland healer. That's basically where this mule has been. Centered for. And it's interesting because mules don't breed, but there's a lineage there and there's good stock to pull from. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank and you. thanks for your time. Thank you. Well, like I said, Krista is a walking encyclopedia of horse and mule training. But right now, her work is all being done word of mouth, but if you want to contact her and you're in the Santa Cruz, Watsonville area, her email address is greathorse, the number four, the letter U, greathorse4u at hotmail.com. She's working on a website, and and when she gets it up, I'll link it off of my site. In the meantime, go to my site, michaelgaither.com, and under the show notes for this podcast, you'll find links to the the YouTube Spotted Mule video, uh, a jukebox where you can just hear the song, uh, the lyrics for this song. There's also a link to dreamhorse.com, which shows where you can purchase Icing the Mule if you're looking for a a prize-winning mule. I also mentioned Jim Brumfeld in that, at the end of that podcast. He's a local mule trainer, horse trainer, and author, and I have links to his site on my site as well. If you have any comments about this podcast, you can leave them on the show notes for this podcast or just send me an email, michael at michaelgather.com. <laughs>